0: turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 and I'm going to read the 25th verse Uh, we have seen that there are many blessings that have been made available to us through the blood of Jesus and all these blessings are included in this one word redemption but as we grow in the Lord our understanding of redemption it should increase amen and so you know When you heard that Jesus died for your sins so that you could make heaven your home, you have now an understanding of redemption to a point. But there's a lot more you need to find out and discover about redemption so that you can partake of those benefits as well. You see, it is impossible to have faith for a promise you are not certain God is offering. It is impossible. To have faith for a promise that you are uncertain that God has offered. And so that's the reason why Romans 10:17 says, so then faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing, the word of God. Okay, so what does hearing indicate? Hearing indicates that knowledge has come. You could say it this way: faith comes by knowledge. That's what faith comes by hearing the word of God means. Because when you hear the word of God, you have gained knowledge. Amen. Uh, you know, in Psalm 119, verse 130, it says, The entrance of thy word gives light. Light is knowledge. Knowledge of the truth. And Jesus said in John eight thirty two, He said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's look at that at John eight thirty two. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. A lot of times we just partially quote that verse and we say, well, you know what Jesus said? He said the truth will make you free. Well, that's true, but it's only partially true. He didn't just say or only say the truth will make you free. He said, you shall know the truth And the truth shall make you free. So let me ask you this. What has to come first? Uh, The truth making you free or knowledge of the truth? Knowledge of the truth. So back to my statement that I said earlier. And I did not come up with that statement. This was from F.F. Bosworth, uh, the the author of the, uh, the classic book, Christ the Healer. He said, it is impossible to have faith for a promise that you are uncertain God has offered. That's why Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. So that word hearing indicates that knowledge has come. So you could say faith comes by knowledge. Amen. Okay. Now faith comes by knowledge. And so um, our understanding of that one word redemption will determine the extent that we can benefit from those promises. And those benefits that have been made available to us. You know, what is it? Psalm 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, I'm really doing my best not to just do this whole service doing the intro, but it's good to camp on these things sometimes. But Psalm, Psalm 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name, and forget not all his benefits. Okay, so you knowing something has everything to do with whether or not those benefits are going to benefit you. Amen. So we have two problems. Number one, there is a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for what? A lack of knowledge. In other words, Satan is so defeated that there is nothing standing between you and your ultimate victory than your ignorance. Whew. My my my! And you just thought the devil was so big and bad. No, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You didn't say nothing about my people are destroyed because of that big bad devil, huh? Really, the only the only um, the only influence Satan really has is deception. The only power the devil has is deception. It's the power. Have you heard the phrase? The power of deception. That's the only power he has, is the power of deception. And I heard it said this way, that deception wouldn't be so deceiving if it wasn't so deceptive. (laughs) I mean, that's just the problem with deception, is that it's so deceivingly deceptive. And the most dangerous thing about deception is the people who are deceived don't know it. That's the most dangerous thing about deception, is that the people who are deceived don't know it. And so that's the reason why you can't talk to them, because they think that they got it going on. When a year ago, they would have been rebuking someone else doing the same things that they're doing right now, six months ago. You see what I'm saying? Deception, it it blinds the mind, and it prevents you from seeing things that were right in front of your face just uh, days ago, maybe it blinds you. It makes you forget. So I said there's two problems. Number one is is a lack of knowledge or ignorance. But then there is forgetfulness. You see, most Christians' problems today is not over what they don't know. It's about what they've forgotten. That's why David said forget not all his benefits. So it doesn't help you much just to go to Bible school and learn it and then never think about it again, does it? Any more than it would be beneficial for a mechanic to go and buy up all his tools and then never use them. Amen. I mean, I am not very, you know... Handy at all on stuff like that. So but whenever I need a certain tool, I go to Sears and I buy it and I use it one time. And then three years later, I might need it again, but I done forgot I have it. So I go back to Sears and I buy another one. I mean, that's just me. You know what I'm saying? Because just because I had that tool, it did not help me because I didn't remember I had it. <laughs> Amen. You know, Brother Hagan, he talked about how that when he was pastoring the first 12 years of his ministry, uh, he pastored six different churches. And in one of these churches that he pastored, he said that he was driving out in the country doing some visitation and um, that he had, he had run out of gas. I mean, you know, you he couldn't just get out his iPhone, you know? This was like 1930-something, <laughs> you know? And uh, so somehow or another, he got to uh, a telephone, and he was able to call one of the deacons from the church to come out and, and bring some gas to him. The part of the story I didn't tell you was that just a few months prior to that, he had been putting a little bit of money, every time he got a little extra, he would put it in in a secret compartment in his wallet. He... he, he he talked about the secret compartment in his wallet, you know. I, that's where I put my she money. I don't know where y'all put your she money at, but you know what she money is? That she don't know I got it money. <laughs> that's the secret compartment. <laughs> I can't hide nothing from Kathy because she'd get in my face and she'd say, where'd you put it? But anyway, so back to Brother Hagin's story. His is better than mine. Um, you know, because her birthday was coming up, uh, Aretha's birthday, so he would put a little bit of money, and he had a he had a $20 bill. Now, back in 1930-something or another, I mean, $20 was a lot of money, yeah. you know? He said, but that $20 did not help him because he forgot he had it. It was there all the time, right there in, in the secret compartment of his wallet, but it did not help him, not one bit. You see, he had it, and if somebody would have come and told him, said, do you have $20, you know, He might have remembered that, you know what I'm saying? But he was not connecting his need for gas with that $20 he had put in his wallet. So you got to connect things, guys. You have to connect things. So that's the reason why um, God told Joshua, he said, if you're ever going to be the leader that I've called you to be and walk in the gifts and the callings that I've given you, if you're ever going demonstrate to demonstrate the strength that it takes to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, you're going to have to meditate in my promises day and night. It's not enough to know it. Now you've got to meditate in it. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you gain knowledge of God's word. That's wonderful. That's great. I have a knowledge of T-bone steak. I have a knowledge of ribeye. I have a knowledge of filet mignon. But I'm not content with my knowledge. I got ha- to partake. Amen. With the baked potato and some sour cream and some cheese and Oh, Lord Jesus, amen. Can I preach about sweet potato now? Oh, hallelujah, with some butter and some cinnamon or what is that, that a brown sugar and, and oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord. I mean, I'm not content with just knowing there is such a thing as a sweet potato. I'm not content with just knowing that there is a medium cooked filet somewhere on someone else's plate. And I don't use the excuse that I've been to that restaurant before to keep me from going again. I don't use the excuse that I've eaten that food before to keep me from eating it again. In fact, the fact that I have eaten it before makes me want to eat it again. So I don't say when it comes to the word of God, oh, I've heard that before. You know, we just kind of tune the preacher off, you know. Well, we'll wait until he gets through talking about that and maybe... Because, see, here's the problem. Is we're, the reason why we forget is because we're looking for something new. I said, the, my job is not to teach you something new. You need to do your own studying. You need to find out in the Word of God what God promises you. Anything I say to you ought to just encourage you to go find more out about it and to and to get excited about those things that you learn. I might say some things that teach you something new, but that's not my goal. My goal is to bring to your remembrance those things that you've heard before, those things that you're already established in, those things that you all are already well aware of. Yeah. I don't feel insignificant or insecure uh, and think, I gotta, oh, I've got to have something new. I've got to think of something new. You know what? I've been doing this for about 18 years now, 52 weeks a year, twice a week. I, I'm not too really concerned about something new anymore. Well, I only got like five sermons. Man, that'll last you five years. If you really understood the importance of meditation and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Amen. I mean, Oral Roberts says you don't even know the message you preach until you've preached it at least 50 times yourself. Wow. So I know if I'm not getting it until 50, 50 times, you're not getting it until you hear it at least 50 times. Amen. Paul said, I plan to keep on reminding- yeah, that's right. The Apostle Paul in his epistles, he said, I, he said, I plan to keep on reminding you of those things that you know and are established in. So we're not trying to preach something new. And that's the problem. People is that they're looking for something new when really it's not about what's new, it's what's true. Jesus said, The truth will make you free. He didn't say what's new would make you free. And besides, if it is new, it ain't from God because He don't have no new revelation. The written word of God, right here, this is the revelation, man. This is it right here. Now, it might be new to you, but it's still been in this book all along. Amen. Praise God. And so, it's not what's new that sets you free. It's what's true that sets you free. Amen? All right, now, we can get started. <laughs> we'll try. Did you, All that was maybe so you could find Romans 3. Romans 3.25 says, we're talking about uh, Jesus here, Paul is. He says, whom God has set forth, God the Father has set forth Jesus to be a propitiation Through faith in his blood. Say through faith. Through faith faith in his blood. Now, propitiation means the end of the estrangement between God and man. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 36. uh, Luke is talking about Jesus' ministry and he says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. What did Jesus preach? He preached peace. He preached peace. He was not talking about serenity. He was not talking about calming your nerves. When Jesus preached peace, he was talking about the peace between man and the Father God. Now, when you know that you have peace with the Father God, that will calm your nerves that will soothe your soul. Amen? But the message of peace is not, just relax. Turn on some soft spa music. You know? I'm going to do that. I did that for you, Brooke. You know, you can tell Rachel I did it again for her. But anyway, I mean, just, have you ever heard that crazy spa music Anyways, I'm, It's like, I, at times I have to, I go and get a massage because when I'm flying, my muscles get tense and, and like, I'm like, you know, uh, can I can I put on my phone music? You know, what I, mean? I don't want to hear all that sparkly, you know, new age Middle East, Eastern stuff. You know what I mean? Some of it's all right, I'm sure, but I like my own stuff. I got my own stuff going on here. You know. Now then, also Ephesians two verse six, uh, verse seventeen. Excuse me. Says. Uh, Paul here is talking about Jesus' ministry. First, we read in Acts 10 where Luke talks about Jesus' ministry. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 17, uh, concerning Jesus, He came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through Him, through Jesus, we both have, a song by both Jew and Gentile, both have access by one Spirit. Unto the Father. See, that is propitiation. That through Him, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by the Holy Spirit into the presence of the Father. Amen. Now, uh, a definition I gave you a few months back on the peace of God is it speaks of a peace of mind and tranquility arising from knowledge of our reconciliation with God and a sense of His divine favor. So it speaks of the peace of God, it speaks of a peace of mind and tranquility, but it doesn't stop there. Where does this peace of mind and tranquility come from? It arises from knowledge of our reconciliation with God and a sense of His divine favor. I mean, see, you knew God was good, but you just didn't know He was that good. Every day that ought to be... Your testimony. I knew God was good, but I just didn't know He was that good. The blessings of redemption are obtained through faith in the blood, and faith is dependent upon knowledge, okay? Uh, Andrew Murray said this since our reconciliation is rooted in the blood, a fuller knowledge of reconciliation will result in a fuller experience of the power of the blood. Now, there's four things I want to talk to you about. Number one, we need to understand sin. And uh, because sin is what made reconciliation necessary. Okay, we need to understand sin. We do uh, people an injustice if we jump right in and start teaching them who they are in Christ and who they will be in Christ once they get saved. And, you know, we do them an injustice, really, because then you've got people born again looking for money. You get people born again, and they're looking for everything to just suddenly go right with their life, and nothing ever wrong happens, you know. But to understand reconciliation, we have to understand sin, which made that reconciliation necessary. You see, although God's love towards man is unchangeable, sin ended man's relationship with God and made any continued fellowship impossible. You see, when when sin entered into the world, God didn't say, I'm not going to love them no more. No, He never stops loving. In fact, it was love that caused Him to send Jesus to die for the world. So He obviously didn't stop loving. Okay, so then what's the problem? Why don't God just take care of the devil, you know? (laughs) Why don't He just, you know, make the devil just disappear? Well, because there's a thing we're going to get to here, and it's called divine justice. Okay? Reconciliation will so remove the guilt of sin that man can draw near to God and the blessed assurance that there is not any longer the least guilt resting on him to keep him away from God. Some of these quotes I'm getting from Andrew Murray's book, and this is one of them. Reconciliation so removes the guilt of sin that man can draw near to God in the blessed assurance that there is not any longer the least guilt resting on him to keep him away from God. Now, you might feel guilty, but God is not putting that guilt on you. That's not coming from him. That's the reason why Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The condemnation you sense, that's coming up from your own heart. Now, maybe there's something you need to repent of, but God is not the one keeping you out of his presence. He's not the one who's communicating uh, that guilt on you. Sin has lost its voice in the throne room of God. Glory to God. Sin has no voice before the throne of God. And when you see, say when I see it. When you see that sin has been rendered powerless over your life, your faith can have something to lay hold of, and the experience of that blessing is made possible. Hallelujah. See, you got to see it. Doesn't mean it's not there. Doesn't mean it hasn't been made available. But you got to lay hold of it, and we lay hold of that benefit with our faith. So, um, the second thing we need to understand about reconciliation is God's holiness that foreordained it, okay? You see, there could be no thought of releasing the sinner as long as the law was not satisfied. Otherwise, the sinner could not be delivered. The only solution possible was reconciliation. So for reconciliation to be made, there must be a satisfaction of divine justice. You say, Pastor, what is this satisfaction you're talking about? Well, this is a scriptural word, and we see it here in Isaiah 53, verse 11. And this is Isaiah who lived 500 years before Christ, before the crucifixion. Isaiah lived 500 years before Christ, and God prophetically showed him what would take place At the cross, it says, He regarding the Father shall see of the travail of his Jesus soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So we see here that God, his sense of justice, his righteousness, satisfied at the sacrifice of Jesus, at the travail of his only begotten son's soul. God's sense of justice was satisfied. He saw that the full price of sin had been paid in his only begotten son. Okay. The third thing we need to understand about reconciliation is we need to understand the blood of Jesus, which obtained it. I'm reading out of the living Bible Romans 3, 24 says, Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending Him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in His kindness freely takes away our sins. Verse 25, For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. Um, He used Christ's blood and our faith, get that, He used Christ's blood and our faith as a means of saving us from his wrath. Andrew Murray said, and I love this quote, the wrath of God turns around and hides itself in the depths of God's love. So, Andrew Murray said this, the righteousness of God no longer terrifies man, it meets him as a friend with an offer of complete justification." God's countenance beams with pleasure and approval as the penitent sinner draws near to him and he invites him to intimate fellowship. Isn't that good? Woo! God's countenance beams with pleasure every time you wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. I come to you to worship you today. His countenance beams with pleasure and approval as the penitent sinner draws near to him. Now, if he does that for the sinner, how much more will will he beam with pleasure for his children? Amen? Those who are born again, those who are his. It says, he opens for him treasure of blessing. This is what God will do for those who receive his justification. He opens for him treasure of blessing. There is nothing now that can separate him from God. And you may have been saved four or five years now. Did you know nothing's changed? He's still beaming with pleasure and approval for you. Amen. Hallelujah. The fourth thing and the final thing we need to understand about reconciliation is we need to understand the pardon that resulted from our reconciliation. You see, there's many blessings and benefits within our redemption But the first one we need to understand to benefit from any others is we need to understand that we have been reconciled to God. Peace has been made between God and man through Jesus Christ. Turn with me now to Colossians chapter 2. We're talking about the pardon which resulted from our reconciliation. And I'll be reading this out of the Passion Translation in verse 13. Colossians 2, 13. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp, but now, say now, Now. we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, hallelujah, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. Verse 14, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Now you know this translation was written in the computer age. Because how many has ever got something deleted and it could not be retrieved? But praise God, there is no record on file of our sin in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam had been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Verse 15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, Stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. He stripped them of their power, their authority to accuse us. They have no more legitimate right to stand before God and accuse you of your sin. Listen, when the devil tries to bring condemnation on you and he says, you did, you did this and you did that. You just say, devil, my sin is none of your business. It really isn't. You don't even, I mean, it's none of his business. The power of sin, which is death, has lost its grip on you. It has no more place in you. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the law that we had broken, and he suffered the price of death. And that penalty cannot come to you now that it's already come on Jesus. Praise God. God. It's impossible. But see, if you don't know that, the devil can deceive you and treat you just like redemption was never made. Amen. Yeah, and we, we allow what, what we're ignorant of, what we're not bringing ourselves in remembrance of, right. what we're not believing for. Amen. Let me finish reading this because you could just preach on that, you know. Stripped away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, see, I don't want to hear nothing about the power of sin no more. Not after the power of the cross. Yeah. Amen. Whew. Jesus led them, these spiritual powers and demons, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner, they were his. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, Andrew Murray, a great quote of his on the blood, he says, For the enjoyment of this blessedness, nothing is necessary except for faith in the blood. For the enjoyment of this. See, Jesus did all the triumphing, He did all the fighting. He did all the battles. He fought the war. We just exercise faith in the blood of Jesus that accomplished it for us, and we can enjoy it all. That's what makes us more than conquerors. He's the conqueror. He did the fighting. We're more than conquerors because then He just gave us the benefits. Amen. Now, um, the Scriptures give us many illustrations to emphasize the fullness of forgiveness and to convince the fearful heart of the sinner, um, or the believer for that matter, that the blood has really taken away sin. Isaiah forty four twenty two, 22, it says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions. And as a cloud, your sins return unto me, for I have redeemed you. Isaiah 38, 17 says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind my back. Behold, for or instead of peace, I had great bitterness, but you have in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind my back. In Micah 7, 18 and 19, it says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Verse 19, He will turn again, and He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and Thou will cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. Praise God. Isn't that good? Now, the last one here, Jeremiah fifty twenty, It says, in those days, that's these days, praise God. This is the fullness of time. God has sent His Son. He has died for the sins of the world. He spoiled principalities and powers. Amen. Hallelujah. He blotted out our transgressions on the cross, didn't he? So, in those days, that's these days, and in that time, that's this time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel, or the people of God, shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. Praise God. Andrew Murray said, there's not the least thing to hinder God pouring out on us the fullness of His love and blessing. He said, everything is bright in the gladsome light of God's face and God's love. And then uh, something Smith Wigglesworth said, he said, there is nothing in me that the blood does not cleanse. There is nothing in me that the blood does not cleanse. It reaches the highest place in heaven and the deepest places in our hearts glory to God Colossians 1.22 from the New Living Testament it says as a result he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault hallelujah it says and you are holy me yep you (laughs) blameless me yep you you say, say this, according to the word, I'm holy. According to the word, I'm blameless. I can stand before him without a single fault. Hallelujah. Now, you know 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away and all things have become new, right? But did you know that Paul himself had to get a revelation of that? because he had plenty of reasons for condemnation to be upon him. There was no one more viciously against the church than Saul of Tarsus. He didn't personally have the privilege of stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr, but at least he figured he got the privilege of holding the coat of the men who did. He partook and participated in the first Christian martyrdom of of Stephen and so but then you read over I think it's chapter 7 verse 1 we can look at it and see but I'm not 100% sure he says receive us we have wronged no man we have defrauded no man is that it Uh, maybe try verse 2 there it is thank you sir he's telling this I mean the boldness the audacity receive us we have wronged no person hmm really Paul or Saul I mean no wonder God had to change the man's name you know what I'm saying <laughs> I heard one preacher he said God took the s off of Saul that stood for sin and put a p that stands for power named him Paul amen <laughs> you see but before Paul could write the revelation of 2nd Corinthians 5 17 to the churches God had to give him that revelation for himself And he's acting on his own revelation when he says to them, he ain't lying. He's talking out of a revelation. Receive us, we've wronged no one. Whew. We have corrupted no man. Well, maybe Stephen, but that wasn't Paul. That was Saul. That was the old man. Wow, man. I mean, we need to get a revelation. Have you ever killed somebody? Told them God told you to do it? Man. Whew. You ain't got nothing to be sad about and to be condemned about. You better get up and receive your forgiveness right now. You better quit crying. You better get happy right now. Get a revelation of 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Any man, that didn't say except for you. No, every man, every person. Glory to God. Woo! He said, we have wronged no man. We have defrauded no man. Why? Because he said, he he knew he had a revelation. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things passed away and all things become new. Now, the living Bible says, Now as a result Christ has brought you into the very presence of God and you are standing there before Him with nothing left against you. Nothing left that He could even chide you about. (laughs) Amen. Can you see how a revelation of your reconciliation with God can help you to pray more often, more regularly? Because so many times we all want to pray, but then if we slip into sin, we yield to the flesh, we get angry with our spouse, our children, whatever, then all of a sudden, where do you think that enthusiasm to pray goes? It's like it's gone because it's like, oh, I it ain't worth getting in God's presence. You don't want to hear what I have to say. That's just all you. That ain't what God said. You need to at least honor the blood more than you do your feelings. My goodness. You need to honor the blood more than you do your emotions. You need to see that there's more power at the cross than there is in your in that sin. Yeah. Come on. It's good. Whoo. Glory to God. And just act on a revelation instead of a feeling and you'll grow some. Yeah. You'll be able to help other people some if you'd start to act out of a revelation instead of your feelings or your emotions. Amen. Now, what does the Bible tell us to do about sin? In 1 John 1.9 it says, if we confess our sins, not to the priest, not to me, not to any person, that might, it might help you, you know, to tell people that you trust, that can help you and love on you and pray for you, but the only person you need to talk to about your sin to get forgiveness is God. And 1 John 1.9 says, if uh, we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. Say, He's faithful. He is, faithful. He is just. He is just. to forgive me of my sins sins. and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood.